Maybe you've noticed with me that in just about every scene of the birth of Jesus, whether it's a Renaissance painting or the, the little nativity set underneath your tree, that there's always an angel. The angel is always dis- depicted up high, flying, floating in the air. And if we're talking about your little nativity scene under the tree, sometimes, oftentimes, the angel is perched on top of the barn-looking structure that kind of surrounds the characters. And the angel seems as necessary to the scene as baby Jesus, Mary and Joseph on either side, and at least one ox, lamb, and sheep, and donkey, rounding out the characters. The verses from Luke's gospel that Eddie read for us a moment ago, they obviously they describe the birth of Jesus, and, the, and those words are about as familiar as Christmas texts would get. But there's always the risk that we lose the wonder of what is familiar, because we're just so used to what's familiar. And so in our minds, we know Mary gives birth, places Jesus in a manger, whatever that is. An angel of the Lord tells the shepherds out in the fields, they come by for a visit, And the heavenly choir, skies open up and they sing a song of praise. We know that. So it's easy to overlook or minimize the stunning reality of what's happening here. That heaven and earth dimensions collide in this scene as God the Son arrives in the flesh. The heavenly angels They come face to face with the earthly shepherds. And I want us to think about each, but first about angels who have been watching God's plan of salvation unfold for thousands of years, peering over from the first row of the mezzanine of heaven with the best views. They've been watching. They've been waiting. The Apostle Peter in his first letter gives us the sense, this this incredibly unique comment at the end of this text. Listen, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. Even angels long to look into these things. The Apostle Peter gives us the sense of these heavenly creatures, awesome, otherworldly beings, watching and waiting. And here in Luke chapter 2, the moment has finally arrived. The watching and waiting over thousands of years now bursts out into joy. It's been held in since the moment sin first entered the world. And God set in place his plan of salvation. J.B. Phillips was a a Bible translator and an author from the last century. And uh, he wrote this fictional story called The Angel's Point of View. A senior angel is giving a junior angel a tour of the universe. And he shows the junior angel galaxy after galaxy of overwhelming splendor. When they come to the star that we call our sun... Quote, follow on the screen. The senior angel pointed to a small and rather insignificant sphere 
turning very slowly on its axis. I want you to watch that one particularly. Well, it looks very small and rather dirty to me, said the little angel. What's special about that one? That, replied his senior solemnly, is the visited planet, visited by our Prince of Glory. At these words, he bowed his head reverently. The little angel's face wrinkled in disgust. Do you mean to tell me that he stooped so low as to become one of those creeping, crawling creatures of that floating ball? I do. And I don't think he would like to, you to call them creeping, crawling creatures in that tone of voice. For strange as it may seem to us, he loves them. He went down to visit them, to lift them up, to become like him. A little creative, imaginative peek at what these otherworldly creatures, whenever they appear, a human being recoils in fear. They are not cute and pretty and cuddly. They are of the heavenly dimension. And so Luke chapter 2 is so stunning from the perspective of these heavenly creatures who see the vast universe in all of its glory, who have stood in the presence of the almighty, awesome, all-wise, perfectly beautiful, self-existent creator. It is stunning that such angels would draw near, come face to face with the humblest of human beings on this otherwise insignificant planet. Stunning that a piece of heaven would come down to earth. Shepherds, on the other hand, they were the lowest of professions in the Middle East. Shepherds lived quite simply, only focused on what was right in front of them. Shepherds' main focus was on their own food, water, and shelter, and pretty much the same for the flocks of sheep that they tended. Take care of them. Keep them from wolves. Live to tell another day. Put dinner on the fire. And so the dirt underneath their feet and the cries of a baby and the smells of nature just the normal stuff of the earthly dimension. You've heard the phrase, maybe you've used it yourself, hopefully in jest, maybe at a buddy who just woke up and you're camping. You've heard the phrase, he looks like a homeless guy. And, and, and you're referring to um, somebody who looks disheveled, uh, wild bedhead, unshaven, uh, face, maybe some dirt smeared, raggedy clothes, a smell. Maybe there's a sense of shame such that the person you're referring to doesn't make eye contact, doesn't lift up their head and connect with another human being. And I wonder if we would have thought those kinds of thoughts about Joseph and Mary had we come upon them in Bethlehem. Joseph and Mary, who had been traveling for days and days, completely dependent on the generosity of strangers or not. Maybe they knocked on doors that didn't respond. No place to wash up, exhausted, now giving birth in a stable. Joseph overwhelmed, simply wishing that one grandmother or one sister was present who would know what to do, how to help. Mary, and Mary crying out, a teenage girl, in pain, 
wondering if she would have the strength to push through the pain. Do do you see the stunning overlap of the transcendent and the mundane? Heaven opens and glory shines forth while earth keeps spinning. And the pain and frustration and suffering of ordinary people continues. This was the humility. This was the reality of God coming in the flesh at that first Christmas. This is the stuff of Christmas that we need to talk about because it's the truth. Because it's what God has revealed to us. And this stark contrast is what we so often skip over in the interest of sentimentalism. Why is this stunning contrast at the heart of Christmas? Most good Christmas songs point out this stunning contrast, and we sung a few of them. The why question is simply answered with this. Um, Think of the obvious first. There were shepherds in the field because there were sheep. And there were sheep in the field, not because your average Jewish person had a craving for roasted leg of lamb or lamb chops. There were sheep in the field tended by the shepherds because the sheep were being raised in order to serve as sacrifices at the temple in Jerusalem to atone for sin. That's why there were sheep in the field and shepherds to tend them. Why is there this stunning contrast of heaven come down to earth, of the transcendent intersecting with the mundane? Angels meeting shepherds. Why? The glory of heaven and the ordinary and lowly of the earth meet because in our sin we are lowly. We are spiritually disheveled. We have no approvable status with which to approach the King of glory. But God, in His great mercy, determined to rescue sinners like us. Heaven came down to earth. God the Son arrived as a baby in order to live a fully human life in order to, what child is this? Nails and spears shall pierce him through the cross. Be born, experienced, suffered for me, for you. This is why he came. In order to die the substitute death as God and man that our sins deserve. Jesus would show himself to be the good shepherd, John chapter 10, who lays down his life for the sheep. This is Christmas. So on this Christmas Eve, the one question that I would ask you to consider, to go home with, to reflect on, maybe to lead you to pray quietly tonight, do you believe that these cosmos-shaking truths, when heaven met earth in Bethlehem, do you believe that these truths have relevance for your life? Do you believe that there's really nothing more important as a question to answer in life, in this here and now? An old poet wrote this, should Christ be born a thousand times anew, despair, O man, unless He's born in you. In a very familiar Christmas hymn, 
the author prays for the same idea. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. You know that Christmas is about the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. You know about Mary and Joseph. You know about angels and shepherds. You, you know about the Magi who come later. They, they, should, they should be hiding in the closet and then maybe next week come out for your nativity scene. You know these things, but none of that knowledge matters any more than the best of Hallmark cards unless the child king born in Bethlehem is born in you through faith. Do you believe in the reality of Christmas? Do you believe in His birth, but also in Jesus' death in your place? Because that's what sin deserves. Believe in Jesus this Christmas, and you will receive the greatest gifts that anyone could ever receive. New life in Christ, freedom and forgiveness of sin. Let's pray. Holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. You are coming again, Lord, but we pray that you would descend in, in a way that new life is born in many more, even today. Descend that we might know your reality, that you are king above the, the kings and prime ministers and presidents and rulers of this earth. Descend that we might see your glory and not give glory that you deserve to any other. Descend, Lord, be near, that we might know your promises, that you have saved and you are coming again to complete salvation. From first to second comings, Jesus, on this occasion of your birth, on your coming in the flesh, we praise you, we adore you, we magnify your name. Amen.